Okay, and we are live on Leadership Redefined. Uh, we have uh, uh, Dr. Bernardo, as, as always. Welcome, Dr. Bernardo. And okay. a, a special guest, Melissa O'Mara. How are you, Melissa? I'm doing well, thank you. Nice so, to meet you, Al, and nice to see you again, Richard. Yeah, some, some guests we have uh, longstanding relationships with. Uh, you know Dr. Bernardo. Uh, I just met you, so I'm happy to, but we, we really got to talking pretty quickly, Melissa, offline. So happy to uh, share this podcast on a on the Monday after Easter, for those who celebrated, hopefully it was a good Easter for everyone. Um, and uh, we're getting right down to it, though, right? Right on a Monday morning and uh, having our, our podcast. So, Melissa, if you could just introduce yourself. Um, and we talked about a few things offline that you're pretty passionate about that I think the audience is going to be really interested in as far as leadership and learning and, and some, some things with technology, the environment. Uh, so I'd love to get into those pieces as well as other things with you. Um, during this uh, podcast. So Melissa, real, real quick, allow you to introduce yourself and Rich, obviously jump in whenever you'd like. Great. Well, thanks. So, um, well, I'm Melissa O'Mara. Um, I'm a 27 year corporate veteran. So I spent 27 years at big companies, mostly tech. And, um, and in 2014, I left to start my own uh, consulting and coaching business um, focused around collective leadership. So we'll talk a little bit more about that, I'm sure. Um, and the, the reason that I, you know, the primary goal or sense of purpose I had at that point in time was that I had in the corporate space been focused very much on, I, I look back, I realized I was an entrepreneur. I was an internal change agent, you know, inside of companies and um, working on things like from the mid 2000s, really, um, you know, environmental awareness inside of companies and what we could actually do with our clients as well to drive environmental solutions um, in, from inside of tech. So uh, pre-smart everything, smarter everything. I was at IBM in those pre-smarter everything days, and I was a member of IBM's Green Army. Um, so, you know, fast, you know, Fast forward, what I was realizing along the way is trying to drive change inside of big companies, also customer-facing parts of change. How do we work differently with our clients? Um, what I realized is that the greatest enablers and barriers to change were actually people and human systems. Um, it wasn't in the long run, it wasn't ever about whether the process or the technology could work or could be made to work. It was always uh, more determined, it seemed to me, by can the teams that need to work together inside and also beyond organizational boundaries and across organizational boundaries, can they align around a shared purpose? Can they find what it takes in, within themselves in order to come together and overcome difference and actually work together to drive uh, meaningful change? Um, and would they have the support inside of the organization or the organizations in which they were leading um, to, to do that work in a way that was sustainable over time because large systemic change takes a lot of time and a lot of, you know, there's a lot of iterations oftentimes, you know, you're not always on the right track at the beginning. And so, yeah, I realized that in order for, that my passion had become um, not just to enable change, but to actually enable 
human systems to enable change or catalyze change more effectively, if that makes sense. Oh, it definitely makes sense. Rich, you have a comment? More than you can account. I love that word catalyze. <laughs> catalyze is one of my, maybe may my favorite verb. Okay. At least it's in the top 10. I love that word. Um, it's funny because you use the term human systems. And uh, last, uh, last Monday, we interviewed uh, Kate Robinson. Uh, a doc, so, so Ken Robinson's uh, daughter, who's an internationally uh, uh, famous uh, individual, just passed away, uh, who speaks about really tearing schools down, starting all over again. And we talked about change from her perspective, and that's the exact term that she used, human systems. So it's kind of encouraging to hear someone from uh, your from your uh, walk, your walks of life, and I, I made that plural on purpose, and hers understand the intersections of that term of changing human systems. I sometimes call it new ways to realize. Mm. Yeah, yes. new, ways, yeah, new ways to realize are it's easy to say, but you know, far more difficult to to do. Now, your, your premise about collective leadership uh, is uh, right up our alley in terms of our belief in, in the, what we call the collective mindset. But, but your, your premise about collective leadership and working from within and from beneath, I, I suspect, as well as from the top down, uh, is uh, certainly very appealing to any organization, uh, any organization, nonprofit, profit, or, or educational for that matter. Um, so I'm going to put words in your mouth and take them out again. You can uh, true or false, and this is, I hate when I sometimes people get a little nervous when I ask them this question. I, I take it that you you don't believe that none of us is as smart as all of us, or you do believe it. And none of us, point, none as of us as is of as us. smart as all of us. I agree with that. None of us is as smart as all of us because none of us can see the big picture by ourselves. We can only see our angle of the elephant. If you know that fable uh-huh. of the blind men, you know, trying to identify an elephant in the center. And one of them says, Hey, it's a tree trunk. Cause he's holding onto the leg. Right. And from his perspective, okay, that's a, a fair enough. It's not even a fact, right? <laughs> he's actually making an interpretation of the fact and saying it's his truth. So we are in a time right now where we need to go back to some of these basic realities of there's complex, an elephant isn't even complex, right? <laughs> right? But, but, but there are all these different angles of the elephant in this fable. And unless they are speaking facts and also uh, speaking from a place of not knowing for sure, then how would they ever know that they were all touching the same elephant? And I feel like that's the reality um, of our world right now is that we're all seeing aspects of reality. We're defining, we're interpreting it, interpreting it, and then we're claiming our version of the truth, our version of the truth. Mm. And, um, and then we're adamant that we're right too often. Yeah. And so, yeah, how do, how do we back up a little bit and say, you know, have a little bit of humility and say, well, I, I only know what I know and I need to listen and be curious about what other people are seeing and hearing in order that we can more accurately assess what's true right now and what's wanting to happen. Yeah, Melissa, you mentioned offline uh, this leaders as learners principle. Um, and uh, we often see in leadership positions 
Uh, sometimes it's nepotism. Sometimes it's the right person in the right place. Uh, oftentimes, uh, whoever gets in a leadership position uh, may get there because of they worked in a certain sector for a certain time, like I said, or they knew someone. But uh, the reality of most of the leaders and most of the people that come into leadership positions or people that have been in leadership positions is they don't necessarily have that collective uh, mindset, that collective understanding that there has to be this synergy across. Um, and it's not just one elephant now. It's like a blue, a purple, a green, an orange elephant, all in different, right? And people, oh, yeah. are, so, so, it's, so it's something that we really have to focus and leadership redefine. We try to, to get these conversations going, uh, but I'd love to hear the how you think, and you started explaining that a little bit um, with this kind of uh, understanding knowledge that we all have something, our own or different perspectives, but how in your mind uh, can we start to sort of, uh, shape leadership that, hey, we have to all learn from each other, but we also have to take it on, you know, ourselves, as you described a little bit offline. Just yeah. thoughts on that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is, uh, the, the how is, of course, the, the tricky question. Um, the, um, I have a lot of tools in my back pocket, in a sense, tools, methods, uh, frameworks, and it's not a one-size-fits-all for any leader or group. Um, what I think is required first is for uh, individual, a, a leader with some power in an organization wants some level of power, not necessarily always at the very top. I think that we can't wait or we can't depend on that. We, we need to be able to try to lead from where we are. But somebody that's awake to the fact that they want things to be different, um, needs to begin then to look at themselves. Um, so Otto Sharmer has this great visual of turning a lens around on yourself. Um, when I was uh, leading inside of um, IBM and I also held a leadership role at, at Schneider Electric, um, I really worked with teams to, to the degree that we could, didn't know about Otto's work at the time, but to kind of look at, well, what's our role in change and how, what can we do as individuals and collectively to make change happen? Um, we were very focused though on what we were trying to make happen sort of out there in our world, in our client's world or on behalf of, of, of the company we're working for. So we were more focused out there. What I've come to realize even more so is that um, we have to do our own inner work as well. So I'm not saying we have to do all of our inner work before we can be a great or a good leader, collective leader within a group. But the more that you move to collective leadership and address challenging issues, I think that these, it, we, we get called upon to deal with challenges between people you know, where people do have different viewpoints, different ways of working. And so to understand ourselves, what, how we get triggered, how we, um, you know, how we, how we lead, what's our leadership style and to begin to understand as individuals, what our brand, not even brand, what our way of leading looks like and what our blind spots are as leaders so that we can work on those blind spots so we can be better together. So actually the tagline for the leaders collab. Um, 
sort of grew up out of what are we really doing? What are we really doing when it comes down to it? Um, we help people work better together. It's that simple. We help people work better together um, because we're wired um, for survival and we're wired for su- survival in groups, you know, because it's safer in groups. And so then you get to the whole in-group versus out-group or my group versus your group. And when we're dealing with complex changes where we need lots of groups to work together, it's calling upon each of us to sort of level up, you know, to the next level of thinking in order to address these complex problems with groups that maybe don't fully, we don't fully agree with or don't fully share our values, or maybe their purpose is not even in, in direct opposition, but just different than our own. And how do we find that sort of sense of shared purpose or a bigger game that we can both play together? So that bigger game is one of the frameworks I like a lot because it's simple English. You probably won't have time to go through the nine squares and all of that. But the idea of a bigger game is it's something that we're up to together that matters deeply to all of the people involved. And sometimes I think back to the Shaheen Portman bill in Congress where you had, it was co-sponsored environment or energy efficiency um, uh, 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 proposal from the left and the right. The left wanted it for one set of reasons, you know, and environment and, and you know, maybe uh, environmental equity and all kinds of different things and also efficiency, but the right wanted it for a different set of reasons. And even on the right, there were different reasons for wanting that, you know, that legislation to pass. So that's what we have to do. We have to be able to find that sort of common ground and we have to be able to listen for commonality, listen for understanding where can we come together. And if you think about politics today, we need it as much or more there as we need Uh, anywhere, right? Yeah, without a doubt. And you have, we've talked about this before. Uh, You you often have, especially with politics, but even within business, within education, uh, people polarize uh, issues, um, and when you start to polarize issues, there's no convening, right? Because this it's my way or my way, right? And there's never any way to get get together on an issue or a topic. Um, but I think that that aspect to to showcase that or to have people understand that, I think it starts. You you mentioned humility, sort of putting your ego at the door and not thinking about that uh, for the bigger goal, the bigger purpose, that shared purpose, um, that's the piece that takes a lot. Because especially when you have, because it's not always a leader and then a team, that subordinate team. Sometimes it's leader and leader and leader, and they're all trying to come together and they all have equal positions. So how do you come together for that collective purpose? You do have to say, all right, listen, this is great for us, but we have to understand it's not great for them. And where where do we meet in the middle, right? And I think that's that's some of what you're talking about. It is. It is. So the idea of co- of collective leadership, you know, and, and I was interested, it was interesting because when I did begin to do ULAB with, with Otto Sharmer, which I know uh, Dr. Bernardo, uh, that's where you and I met, I think is through ULAB. Um, he even talks about, you know, leadership as being one of the nine, I think, acup- acupressure points of systems wide change. So I got very interested in theory U because me too. (laughs) Because it's a it is a systems change method. It's an organic, you know, way, you know, when large scale 
happens with his whole, you know, Otto's whole field of study, when it happens, how and why does it happen? Can we, can we model it? Can we keep, make something that's understandable and therefore repeatable? And so when he defined theory U, it starts with, you know, it is literally a U and it starts with having people go from downloading at each other to listening with an open mind, listen with an open mind. So that's like the first step is how do you take a deep breath and realize that it's not just about telling the other, it's about uh, being curious for what, whether that's landing with the other person and then being curious about what their view is. So that's open mind that, but that's like the, the very top of the you. And then how do you actually listen with an open heart, like with some compassion and truly um, let go of and, and be vulnerable with each other, right? To actually say the things that you're afraid to say. Well, that requires what a lot of people are calling safe space or a container that allows for safe and courageous conversation. We need that. When we have complex problems where there are no simple answers, we have to actually drop a pretense that we know exactly how. Like right now, I'm going to tell you, I don't have a silver bullet for any of this. And if anybody does, they're, you know, I, then I'd love to know. You know. Theory U is a partial answer. It, it works for some. It doesn't work for everybody. Um, in that everybody's not ready, in a sense, to follow that kind of uh, open mind, open heart, open will approach. So open mind, open heart, compassionate conversation with others, open will, being willing to actually let go of your, of some of the things you've brought with you, your beliefs, your experiences, in order to allow new possibilities to emerge. And when you do that together with a team, you go through a, um, a learning journey a stakeholder an assessment together down that you with an open mind, open heart, open will, not knowing what might emerge on the other side, like letting go of your agenda as a leader of, well, this is the, the name of the project. This is what we're supposed to do. And we're going to take a straight path towards it without doing a learning journey, without actually checking to see what we should be doing. Well, that, then you've got emergent or uh, generative leadership. You've got co-creation happening. And it's uncomfortable because you can't know for sure what the outcome will look like. You can't know until you go on that learning journey. So imagine companies, you know, teams inside of companies actually going on learning journeys where they don't actually know what the outcome will be. They're listening for it to emerge from the system and that they're playing in, the system that they're, they're working to change or enable or be part of. That's transformative. Transformative. That's transformational. Yeah, Melissa, I think so. So many things that you said. We we get about four or five podcasts yeah. on this, and we'd love to have you back as well. Um, <laughs> but uh, so so articulate and well said. Uh, so what I'd love to do, we do have to unfortunately finish up here for this session. I'm saying for this session because I'm so intrigued. Sometimes we have guests on that we just kind of are stop and sort of listening to, and and in my position you're one of those that uh, has a lot of really uh, wonderful things to say that align with uh, what we are uh, talking about a leadership redefined but also you've uh, sort of enlightened me in thinking about things in a different way as well so I appreciate you here uh, Rich uh, 
I guess, so what we'll do is we'll give a quick uh, chance for Rich to respond and, and closing thoughts. And then we'll give you the last word, Melissa. And we'd love, love, love to have you on again. So Rich. Oh, well, thank you so much. <laughs> how eloquent, Melissa, I have to say how eloquent. And it's, you know, I have to say, I haven't listened to a lot of the YouTube, uh, of the ULAB things for a little bit. And it's as if you were, you were right there and uh, you've just, uh, uh, retransform me to some extent. I so oh. much appreciate that. Uh, wow. <laughs> and we, wow. We, uh, you know, I don't know, I, I guess you probably know this, but uh, Sharma typified himself as the sixth discipline after, after Senge's five, because <laughs> yeah, they're both out of MIT. And I think uh, he fancied himself as the extension of, Sen of, of Senge, which is uh, pretty cool of itself. And I actually agree with that, but I think some of the terms that Senge used uh, you use it, 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 without calling them Senge words, and that would be you know, dialogue, you know, true dialogue, mm -hmm. true dialogue in the sense of listening to each other and you know, through the open mind, open heart, and finally through the open will piece. Yeah. Is, um, it's easy to talk to and far more difficult to do. That, that was one of the reasons why I asked you that question about, which I believe was a Japanese proverb. I've never been able to pin it down, that none of us is as smart as all of us. Uh, yeah, it, you want it to be true, except we can think of some jury's decisions and we can think of a few elections, among other things, where the decisions were, that the group made were really not, not, not very good because the group didn't know how to be cohesive mm -hmm. and thoughtful and reflective the way you speak about it now. Well, true. So a group, <laughs> you're right. So a group that is cohesive can make incredible decisions. A group that is not cohesive yeah, could make dreadful decisions Amen. or no decision. That's a bumper sticker. We'll do that <laughs> together. And so I, 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 uh, I pray we get you, we, we can have you back on again uh, so we can continue this conversation. It's, uh, we truly embrace, Anthony's not here, but we, the three of us truly embrace what, what you espouse so, so well. So, uh, Thank you thank so you. much. It's my privilege, you know, guys, I'm, I'm just a guest. So thank you. I, I love the opportunity to talk about these things that obviously I care a lot about. So. But you can, you not only care about it, you, you know, wherever you speak. And uh, when I'll ask you, well, how do you do that? And you say, well, you know, there's a million ways to do that. And you can't do that in 20 minutes. <laughs> and and, and that, all, all true. And the other point of it is that um, catalysts like you, and I don't give that turn to too many people. Catalysts like you are the kinds of people uh, that uh, we have to kind of count on for the critical mass, which is yet to come, which is one of the reasons why I think Sharma's points have enormous value, but certainly there's not, not a critical mass on it uh, mm -hmm. at any time soon. Agree. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much, uh, Melissa. Again, love to have you on again and uh, continue these conversations. Uh, but we really, really appreciate you on uh, for the show on this Monday morning.